This is Tech Transforms. I'm Carolyn Ford. Each week, Mark Sinell and I talk with top influencers to explore how the U.S. government is harnessing the power of technology to solve complex challenges and improve our lives. Hello, thanks for joining us on Tech Transforms. I'm Carolyn Ford, and this is my co-host, Mark Sinell. Hey, Mark. Good morning. Good morning. So today's guest, Scott Hume is Managing Director, Operations in Contested Environments at MITRE. Scott has been with MITRE for more than 20 years. Sorry to date you there a little bit, Scott. Um, And it's responsible for shaping the the company's globally contested logistics strategy, particularly for one of its sponsors, the U.S. Air Force. And today we're going to talk to Scott about how our government and our military enhance their capabilities in contested environments through partnerships with industry and academia, and how industry can best connect with the DOD to help safeguard our nation and support our military. So good morning, Scott. Thanks for joining us. Hey, good morning. Good morning, Caroline and Mark. Good morning, Scott. Good to see you. So let's start out, Scott, with just MITRE does a lot of work with the Department of Defense. So can you tell us what areas and with which military branches you do work with? Sure. Let me first start out because some of the audience may not be aware of MITRE. In fact, when I came to MITRE over 20 years ago, I was disappointed that we weren't the company that made soccer balls and soccer cleats. (laughs) Um, So I quickly learned that, you know, MITRE uh, operates R&D centers for the government, uh, and one particular is the Department of Defense, which is our National Security Engineering Center. I particularly, out of the 20 years, have spent a majority working with the Air Force, uh, but MITRE works across all branches of the Department of Defense, as well as the uh, combatant commands and uh, the Joint uh, Chief of Staff. Throughout the Air Force, my work, I've I always say that I've had seven different careers because at MITRE, uh, you know, I've been able to work in IT, cyber, command and control uh, programs, as well as counter improvised explosive devices. So counter IEDs during the uh, war on terrorism. So what area of the military and the branches are, are you working with? Yeah, so primarily I'm working with the Air Force, but as uh, we talked about, um, you know, leading an opportunity to develop MITRE's uh, globally contested logistics. And so let me kind of break that apart for you. When we when we talk about logistics, it's really um, anything from fuel, water, ammunition, to, to feed, uh, food, and also getting equipment as well as our forces to the locations that they're going to have to fight in. The contested pieces, um, I'll I'll pause for a second and remember the day of December 7th, 80 years ago. Mm -hmm. So on this date today, Mm -hmm. um, a adversary decided to bomb uh, Pearl Harbor and our forces there. And that was the last time that we actually were in a contested environment uh, across the globe where we didn't have freedom of maneuver, freedom of navigation. And we're in that environment today with our peer adversaries. We no longer have the full freedom to move our forces or supplies. And so like our, our 
you know, some would call the greatest generation. Uh, perhaps we can meet that same call as we look at, you know, how to, first of all, perhaps develop the capabilities our DOD needs to deter that fight with a peer adversary. But if that peer adversary chooses to fight, that we have the capabilities to win and execute that, uh, you know, fight. If you look at the logistics piece of it, um, you know, it goes all the way back to the Napoleon Wars. Napoleon once was quoted as saying logistics wins the wars. And MITRE is not a logistics company, nor are we looking to get into that business. You know, we're looking at how do we provide our system engineering and integration expertise to this domain? Because if you read the 2018 National Defense Strategy, uh, it becomes quickly... You don't have to read the classified version. There's an unclassified version that's out there. You quickly will understand that logistics is our underbelly. Mm -hmm. The way that we've, uh, the way that the DOD has positioned itself for conflicts, it takes months. We move massive amounts of material. And it's kind of analogous to the way the Hume family goes on vacation, whether it's two days or two weeks. Our suburban is packed with everything that might, we might need. And not so that's kind of how the logistics community is when we go to these conflicts. And you saw that with in some of the withdrawal of Iraq is why did we have all that equipment that might have been not necessary? Some of it may not have been necessary uh, because we we plan and go to war with doing, you know, what if this happens? Well, then I need that piece of device. So is that because of just the the. Um the reality of geography that we're typically fighting wars across oceans and it's that's just challenging in its nature. So moving equipment, fuel, uh, water. It's, so majority of it is, I believe, 80% of it is fuel and water. And that's a huge challenge. Um, and also, as you brought up, Mark, our conflicts over the last have been more of an away game. Yeah. And so, but I will get into this, but I'll contest that there's a home game fight to this with a pure adversary, especially when, if we talk about cyber uh, and other electronic warfare and other things. Do you think that logistics, you said that the logistics are our underbelly. Do you think that's true for other adversaries or is it really unique to us? Well, it becomes a more of a logistical challenge when you're fighting an away game. So if you're Mm -hmm. if you're fighting and it's a home game for you, you have more readable uh, access to your supplies. Yeah, that that itself is is a challenge. And if if we look to our our peer adversaries, whether it's China or, or Russia, if we focus on China, you're looking at the tyranny of distance across water that we would have to rapidly move supplies, whether that's sea lift or airlift. And then just our things we can learn from just going through this past pandemic, our supply chain challenges, mm-hmm. right? Um, if we looked at also the cyber attack on the gas pipeline in, in the Southeast just uh, recently, um, that starts to get you thinking about this home fight, right? Because yeah. we will fight in all domains, whether it's air, land, sea, but we'll also, there'll be a fight in space as well as cyber. And so if you want to go, you know, cause uh, chaos or, or slow us movement down, a cyber attack on our critical infrastructure in the United States 
um, would severely um, impact this fight. If yeah. you look at um, this, if there was a fight, you know, they talk about war of annihilation, a war of attrition, or a war of exhaustion. I don't think we're looking at annihilation as I don't think any one would escalate up to um, nuclear level kind of thing. Nuclear level. Uh, attrition could happen. I, I think a, a conflict with a pure adversary becomes a war of exhaustion. So if you can exhaust our capabilities to resupply our forces, it's crucial. And, and look at using all avenues in fighting in all domains. Um, and if you think about this uh, log logistics piece, I'll start with, the, you know, within our own United States, how do we get our, you know, not only the defense industry base, but our manufacturing up to the speed that we would need to be able to manufacture goods and supplies? And how do you protect them, right, from those cyber attacks, right? Um, Many of our traditional logistics suppliers um, are don't have Cipernet. They don't even have Nippernet. They communicate in the open with us. How would we protect that? Then you have to get those supplies into the theater, the challenge in of itself. Okay. And then how do you get those supplies and protect those supplies? And how do you, then do you get those supplies down to the tactical edge? for when they need it in a matter of days. So I, I feel like you explained what contested environments means, but I'm not still 100% sure. But what you just said, figuring out how to secure the supply chain, secure the communication lines, is that what you do? You figure those so that's one out? Aspect, that's, that's one aspect that MITRE is looking at, working with our DOD sponsors. Mm -hmm. um, the... There's also the contested piece of, of, you know, I talked about jammers. They will jam our communication, so we won't be able to communicate. Um, we mentioned a, a fight in space. So imagine mm -hmm. not being able to have our satellites, so have satellite communications. They have, our peer adversaries have um, radar technology that will be able to detect our fighters, detect our, our Navy as well. So we won't be able to just kind of roll in onto the country of one of these peer adversaries and just go deploy the army, um, you know, like we did in Iraq or went to Afghanistan. You hit you hit on so much stuff here, Scott. I mean, we could spend a, an entire week unpacking this because there's a there was a there there's a lot. Those those different domains probably are massive efforts. I those are so when I describe that from the. You know, industry based to theater supply to the tactical edge. Um, what most people say is, I'm describing one of the most complex system engineering problems that this country faces within the DoD. And it, it's it's not an elephant that I'm talking about; it's a herd of elephants. And so, how do you decompose each one of those? Um, and there's many facets for each one of those elephants that we have to look at. And so that's one of the values that MITRE brings is that we try to look at these uh, hard, complex engineering problems um, holistically from, a, you know, again, from that defense industry base or even small businesses, how they could help or, or academia, all the way to that warfighter at the tactical edge on, on an island in the Pacific. 
So, so are you specifically working uh, with the Air Force, or is there a more broader kind of uh, audience that you're you're having these conversations with? Yeah, so it, it's it, it's broader. So I, I primarily work with the Air Force, but in this case, when we're talking globally contested logistics, it's it's broader DoD, and it's beyond the DoD as well. Um, because we need to look at our allies and partners. And so how do we work with the State Department? I talked about uh, there's a home game aspect of this. So it's working with the Department of Homeland Security Mm. uh, as well. Um, There's also, you know, we call a great power competition in this uh, competition phase. There's aspects of commerce and treasury that are involved as well. Diplomacy. It's, you know, uh, the military is just one aspect of this. There's all of government that needs to be looking at this from. A, it feels a like a, a, a multidimensional or, or, you know, four dimensional kind of um, arena that. You know, we're trying to manage and use to, you know, to our advantage, I guess. How does industry help with this? So. You know, Mark and I are on the industry side, and what are best practices for industry to support our military and to help with these problems? If we break it up in certain aspects of it, so let's talk about the supply chain aspect of it. Um, how do we protect our supply chain uh, from it? How do we protect our businesses from cyber attacks that are involved in here? Um, you know, so we don't have a constant um, intellectual property being evacuated by our competitors. Um, from that aspect of it, um, you know, how do we look at leveraging new technologies like, uh, you know, autonomous drones, things like that? Uh, you know, perhaps it's an unmanned uh, aircraft or even sea vessel that is delivering a logistics package on that island in the Pacific. So how do we look at that, you know, technology from that aspect of it. Um, and then also looking at aspects of, you know, 3D printing, additive manufacturing. Uh, imagine if you actually could quickly 3D, you know, print a part in the middle of the Pacific so that you could get a plane back up and running instead of having to wait for it to be shipped to you or flown to you. Never thought about that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So there's, all, there's, there's a lot of different technology spaces that could apply here. So how does the DOD prefer that industry engage? Like, what's the best way? Um, so there are avenues which industry can engage with the DOD. You can always look for, you know, um, requests for information, RFIs that they have, or requests for proposals through the acquisition community. But I would say uh, one way that industry can engage is also through with MITRE. As I mentioned, you know, MITRE's role is to be that bridge between, you know, with industry and and the DOD in in this case. So that's something, uh, you know, I'm on LinkedIn. You can find me on LinkedIn for our folks. They can reach out uh, and connect there. Uh, there's many aspects where industry can play here. Uh, again, to help from all aspects of globally contested logistics. Can I back up one one second here, Scott? Because 
you know, thinking about the supply chain and all the, the challenges we seem to be having uh, in civilian life. Yeah, um, just getting our Christmas stuff. Yeah, just getting our Christmas stuff. But, you know, the so the military has Transcom, right? Aren't they kind of like the military logistics, you know, and that isn't that their charter? Yep. Um, and I wonder if like, uh, you know, this you know, Buttigieg, Secretary Buttigieg is 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 working with, you know, the military to help them with stuff like this. Um, it just seems like those that's a perfect area where they can, you know, you can those two those two uh, entities can work together to try to, uh, you know, solve problems. Yeah. But also no uh, criticism of Transcom, but Transcom has been used to doing logistics in non in permissive environment and where they've had months to, you know, to aggregate supplies. Not days uh, and weeks. Yeah. And look at, um, again, not to be critical of it because there's some great things that Transcom did, but uh, yeah. disaggregating our supplies in Afghanistan, um, you know, was a, a huge challenge for them. So, yeah. so there's, there's a cultural aspect of how do we do, and how do we do things differently? So there's uh, con um, concepts of operations that need to be rethink. Um, how do we, you know, analyze our data to be more predictive on our logistics fronts? Um, be more predictive on the health of our aircrafts or rotary vehicles. So there's a lot of aspects. I think um, the supply chain, through whether through the pandemic or the supply chains that we're all facing in our civil lives now. It's all something that we, both industry, academia, and others can re really rethink about how do we um, do our logistics differently. Can, can you can you maybe spend a minute or two delving a little bit into the cyber side of this to talk a, a little bit about this whole this whole concept of you know the, the you know contested logistics, but as it relates to the cyber side of it? Sure. As I, as I mentioned, right, I see the cyber side of it will, will definitely be a huge play in this. And so many of our industry base, you know, have some network defense capability, but probably not the most latest, uh, or many companies don't even have a uh, cyber framework that they're following. Um, you know, MITRE has what we call the attack framework, which is readily available uh, off of uh, you know MITRE.org, and it talks about how industry can you know leverage different policies, procedures, or or capabilities that they should be looking at protecting their uh, business from from multi uh, facets. Is this, is, are you talking, are you, are you kind of talking about more the defense industrial base or all like, you know, industry? I, I would recommend all industry. I mean, in particular, our, our defense industry base, which they are looking at that. Our, our financial institutions are heavily involved in cyber protection. But um, if you look at the supply chain on where protect, you know, we have minerals that we must need, you know, are those mines, are they protecting their network? Yeah. Right. Probably yeah. not. It, it hadn't occurred to them to think about those, that raw material where it's getting manufactured, uh, 
if you shut down that factory through a cyber attack, imagine the impact that could have. Is, is, have found, I'm sorry, Carolyn. I, I was just going to say, have, have you found or have, have you heard about <clears throat> industry's willingness to participate in this collaboration? Mm-hmm. Or do you, do you find that industry resists this? Um. From a cyber protection perspective or just from working, uh, with, the mili- just working with the military, I guess. Um, um, I, I think there's been some hesitant for some of their industry base. Uh, I would say the non-traditional defense industry base to work mm-hmm. with the military. Um, I think the DO, the military has kind of gone on a campaign uh, to kind of open those doors more to small businesses and other non-traditional industry base. And, you know, I hope to see, you know, our fellow patriots, you know, stand up and want to work with the, the military. And then from, um, from a cyber perspective, I, I think more, more cyber has become more pervasive in our society that with all the different attacks that have happened, I think uh, you're seeing the industry base really step up there. Yeah. Um, when we're talking about globally contested logistics, we spent five minutes just having me describe to you two what contested <laughs> logistics really meant. And so I think there's awareness campaign that uh, a lot of folks just aren't aware of the you know environment in which or future environment in which the military would have to conduct operations. Talk about how MITRE, I think. MITRE facilitates this between industry and government. Can you talk about how MITRE would go about um, developing options to deter attacks on the supply chain, cyber, critical infrastructure? Like, what does that look like for you, like day in the life of Scott? So MITRE's role, one, is making sure that we can help our DOD um, capture what those challenges and what those problems are what kind of the requirements that they're looking for. And and so whether it's both operational requirements or technical requirements, um, and the MITRE would, often we would kind of start to look at what a prototype might look like to help flesh out those requirements. And that's where we can really look with, partner with industry to see if there's technology that can be integrated into those prototypes. Often, it's not just one capability or one piece of software or, or hardware. It's often looking at it from a systems of the systems mm-hmm. approach. And so what MITRE's role is looking from a system engineering perspective is looking at how do we integrate different capability to maybe perhaps solve that challenge space for the DOD. And when you say prototype, in my mind, the way you talked about it, I think of it more as like you're developing an architecture or a process or a plan rather than like a single prototype. Is that, am I interpreting that right? It, it could go from um, an architecture framework, but it could also be, um, you know, an actual, you know, hands-on prototype, not one that, uh, that might or, you know, produces, you know, or sustains. It's not, you know, we're not in that business, but one that could just to help um, visualize what a system of systems could do. It's it's more of a, I wouldn't even call it a dot one version. It's more of a zero dot two version. Yeah. For those in the software world would know. Okay. Um, 
And that's something that, you know, helps the DOD then understand what the requirements are, how they could use those systems of systems, and then to be able to allow it to go through the acquisition process. What's the coolest prototype you've ever worked on? <laughs> um, yeah, the one of the coolest ones I did was called Localize. And the premise behind this was when I was working counter IED, so counter improvised explosive devices. And localize the premise about localize is um, it was using you know your phone, and it was uh, allowing um, Iraqi citizens to um, let U.S. forces know where these IEDs were being um, you know hidden, where they were being, whether it was under the ground, in a building. So, so the, the premise behind it was instead of trying to find a needle in the haystack, so the IED being the needle, you turn the haystack into sensors to tell you where that needle or that counter that IED is. What do you mean use your phone? Like you developed an app that could... We developed it. Yeah, said- this was an app that I might have developed. We prototyped and actually transitioned it to industry to produce it. That is really it cool. It out IEDs. It allowed citizens to report IEDs. Oh, you crowdsourced. Yes. Wow. Brilliant. It was okay. an early version of crowdsourcing because this was back in 2005-ish. Wait, so you're saying MITRE um, invented that term crowdsourcing. I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> <laughs> hey, MITRE invented the term rage, uh, rave parties where, you know. <laughs> So that was that's a that's a that's a thought of kind of how MITRE has a concept that we think when we're working with the DoD they're like well how do we get this concept so we built a little bit of a prototype and then you know see if it can be operationally used and then uh, you know trans, do a technology transition to a industry partner to take it further build upon it uh, you know produce it and maintain and sustain it right. But that was one of my favorite prototypes uh, I worked on. I like it. And we actually had early use of, we integrated early use of facial recognition software on it, uh, which we were able to integrate that as well, uh, which allowed forces to, you know, test out, you know, our force protection folks to be able to test out if they could, you know, if if there was someone that was of concern that they, you know, could use facial recognition and see whether or not they were in our our database that was a known bad person or not. So that was an early um, enhancement to the localized concept as well. That, that is, that is interesting stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's like, um, seems like stuff that you probably work with the three letter agencies on instead of, you know, others, but it's, um, but it, it, at the time, that was all cutting edge technology. So MITRE is kind of trying to integrate all these different technologies together to show what the future concept could look like for our mm-hmm. warfighters. Yeah. And then transition it to allow industry partners to take it and make it better as well. So when you say partners, like what, what types of partners have the most opportunity to help military capabilities be more resilient. Like, what are you looking for when you when you're developing these prototypes? Um, definitely from a cyber defense perspective. So understanding, uh, you know, so cyber sensing, so sensing where our vulnerabilities are, 
uh, sensing if you've been under attack. And then the, the, the big part from the military is we know that we're going to be under a cyber attack. We know it's going to be a contested environment. So how do we have the I thought we were under attack now. Like, I we honestly, are. yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, right? Aren't we always? We, we are. So how do we have the capability to fight through that mm-hmm. attack, especially when we're if we're carrying out a mission? So you look for partners that can do, like, pen testing, search vulnerabilities, all like of that, threat hunting, all of that. All of that. Okay. But also looking for... What are the new technology spaces in cyber? What, what's you know what's the the cutting edge technology that maybe even not only the you know, bigger IT companies but those smaller companies that have maybe financed venture capitals that are just starting up that have a really cool technology. Um, but how can we might help look at that to see how that could be applicable to the future fight as well? So uh, I'm not just in just interested in those, you know, big companies. Of course I am, we work with them all the time, but also uh, those smaller companies that are just starting out that said, hey, I think I have a technology that might be applicable here, but I don't know how to navigate through the DOD acquisition landscape. Mm -hmm. Um, That's, those are who the audience I'm looking to reach out to as well. Or ways to use technology, I guess not in different ways. So I'm thinking Mark and I are at DOTUS right now. And I'm I'm not trying to endorse a vendor, but we have AT&T right next to us. And they've got like a super cool, big, robotic, scary Fahrenheit 451 dog that I've gone over and, you know, taken many videos of. But one of the things in their booth is they've also got a drone. And the whole purpose of having that there is, or, or one of the use cases for that drone is during disaster they can put up a 5G cell tower, like cell tower with the drone and it can run emergency services or, or sell for everybody in the area, which I was like, oh, that's really cool to even think about that and that they've solved this problem marrying these two technologies. Yes, I've, I've seen the robot dog and it scares me. So scary. <laughs> but as we think about this, um, you know, in that contestant fight, and you know, maybe maybe we do go with robot dogs to help protect our, you know, troops in forward operating bases. If yeah. we use more uh, unmanned uh, vessels, whether in the air, sea, or undersea or land, and Seems you know, if our communication lines come down, look what we can do with the drones. Like I would have right. not thought of that. It, it so we can have five G on demand. Yeah. Yeah, it certainly seems like a more scalable way or cheap, uh, a less costly way to kind of a, approach something like that. Well, definitely from a, either a human life or animal life perspective. Right. Yeah. Right. All right. Before we go to our tech talk questions, any last questions for Scott, Mark? I know you two are buddies, so. No, I mean. Uh, Can you get him to talk about any dirt? No. Uh, you know, Scott, uh, Scott uh, you're a big soccer person so i'm just curious have you uh have you seen ted lasso i have watched the uh, uh some episodes of the first season and i do find it hysterical some episodes scott okay this is your commitment for the holidays you need to binge ted lasso i, I know but so i have 
I already have Netflix, Hulu. I know. I, I got Plus rid of I got rid of cable, and then my kids got all these apps on it, and now my this my cable bill now looks like it was a big savings to what I pay an hour a month. I know you can't keep track of all of them, can you? Huh. So, all right. Well, then let's go to tech talk questions. So these are just kind of rapid fire questions. Yeah, well, so I just want to add one thing. So Mark and Ari's relationship goes back when Mark was working for a big IT company. And Mark uh, partnered with MITRE actually to look at um, delivering capability to the Air Force uh, network. So I think Mark and our relationship is just a example of kind of that bridge MITRE can play between industry and DOD. Okay, so that made me yeah. think of another question. So when you when you um, start talking to these industry companies, like for example, Marks, wherever you were before Mark, um, how do you decide which companies or technologies to recommend to the military? Do you have? I mean, I, I know that Miter has a lab. I'm not sure if you like bring everything into your lab and like run tests how do you decide yeah so we look at it we, we look at it from a capabilities perspective the technology capability not particularly one vendor hmm. and so we're not going to do a, a, a gartner assessment of the technology space we may look at gartner's hype curve and look at who are some of the players and then and go out and understand their technology but we look at from a, a technology capability perspective and we try to you know, bridge that capability um, to the DOD. And then they, through their acquisition process, they now understand that, hey, this is, I have a requirement for this capability mm-hmm. and that you know, other vendors can you know, bid against. But it's really exposing the DOD to the technology capability space and not in particular just one specific vendor. So would you recommend, like, if you're helping them build out a prototype, you could say, we need this capability. And we found, like, there are these three companies that we found are probably the best to provide this capability. Or do you just, like, stay out of that? We stay out of the, the latter part. But we'll say, you need this. This is a capability we think you have. And mm-hmm. we, we've done an initial market surveillance. And we, we know of at least three companies that can provide that capability. Okay. So it really is important for companies to reach out to you and make you, you know, help you become aware of what they can do. Right. Okay. All right. Well, now we can go to Tech Talk. All right. You want to throw the first one, Mark? Sure. I'll, I'll throw the first one. And, and Scott, don't think of this but with your miter hat. Just think of this as Scott Hume, uh, you know, the, the, the citizen um, and, what, and what your answer will be for this. So, what do you think the next big leap in technology is going to be? Um, autonomy. Say <clears throat> more about that. I think the huge leap is going to be in autonomous systems. And then how do you, you connect autonomy to human to autonomy integration? So like autonomous cars? Um, all of it, you know, um, could you, you know, we're, we're doing some of this today, but, uh, I, I, you know, autonomous drones could be autonomous cars. Yeah. Um, imagine getting your pizza delivered to you by a, an autonomous drone. Okay, well, I'm not going to lie. That just made my mind go into some really scary places. So let's just go to the next question. <laughs> Um, well, then imagine that based on your purchasing history that the pizza shop knows that on every 
other Friday night, you want a pepperoni mushroom pizza and they deliver it to you at seven o'clock before you even have to put the order in. I oh, know. See, we're going minority report on here on me. Right. <laughs> okay. So next question, we know you haven't finished Dead Lasso yet, but tell us what, um, what do you read for inspiration, for fun, read, watch, listen to, um, as it relates to tech, like yeah, as it relates to tech, but you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, so right now, it's interesting. I'm uh, reading uh, about Minecraft because my son is all into Minecraft things. Mm-hmm. So that's so he's teaching me how to uh, play Minecraft. So I'm, I'm learning that. Um, I, I'll get addicted tell you, to it. You get very addicted to it. And in fact, he watches YouTube shows of kids playing Minecraft, which that's a whole nother fascination I can't picture. But wow, that's weird. It'll suck you in. Yeah. Um, so from that aspect of it, from technology, I, I, it's interesting because I want to understand what that next generation is doing because um, – I, you know, you know, people refer to our generation as kind of digital immigrants that we immigrated into this digital world that we live in, um, where they are, uh, they're born into this digital world. They've had an iPhone and know how to use an iPhone better than I have. And Mm -hmm. I've had an iPhone much longer than they have. So I always uh, learn about technology by watching uh, my kids and their friends with technology because they think of ways of using technologies that we would never even contemplate. Yeah. And through play, like this Minecraft yeah. idea, it's, it's important. Well, well, speaking of that kind of stuff, do you have a favorite app or gadget <clears throat> or anything like that? Yeah. Um, so I will say one of my favorite apps I use every day is Waze. And I, I'm Mark will know this. I am hyper competitive. So whether my goal is to always beat Waze estimate, whether it's to home or to work. <laughs> so if Waze says it's going to take 15 minutes, as long as I do it in less than 15 minutes, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. So yeah, I'm probably the one that's driving a little bit too fast in your neighborhood. And I, I have all. never heard Waze being used in that way. Well, let's put it this way. If it were, if Waze existed or not, Scott would still behave in this way. It would be something <laughs> else. <laughs> yeah. All right, Scott. So if you had a technology magic wand and you could have whatever you wanted, what would you, you know, manifest into this world technology-wise? Um, so this is funny. So I'd like to be able to uh, teleport. Me too. This I is where my he's a Star Trek guy. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Me too. Well, thank you so much, Scott, for taking time with us today. This has been really fun. Yeah. Thank you for having us. I, I mean, I realized we talked about a lot of things. We did. Um, and the way I describe this is this globally contested logistics is like a herd of elephants and probably one of the most uh, complex system engineering problem that our DOD has right now. Well, we're going to include your information in our show notes. You you put it out there, Scott, so our audience can, you know, contact you with the technology they think that can help 
help our military and help governments and just make our lives better in general, right? And thank you for for the work that you guys are doing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what else? Thank you for reminding me of what today is. I needed that reminder because I like it's so busy here. I said we're at DOTUS and I think I might have let this whole day slip by without taking a moment to think about today being Pearl Harbor Day. So thank you. And thanks to our listeners. Um, Please share, smash that like button, and we will be here to talk to you next week on Tech Transforms. Thanks for joining Tech Transforms. Please post a review, share this episode, and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter.